Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard, and today is Wednesday, August 10th, 2022, and the end of week 24 of the Russia-Ukraine War. It's been 3,084 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27th, 2014, and 168 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine War. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with some assessment of the current status of the war. First, influential Russian mill bloggers confirmed our assessment that the offensive west of Donetsk is struggling to maintain intensity due to elements of the 1st Army Corps becoming combat ineffective. Second, Ukrainian military leaders claim they were able to destroy two Russian military targets over a hundred kilometers behind the line of conflict in airstrikes, indicating that Russian air defenses have been compromised. Third, video of Russian tactics south of Izum show light infantry troops have been poorly trained and have low morale. And finally, the explosions at Saki Air Base could significantly impact Russian airstrike capabilities due to lost ammunition and damaged aircraft. Let's take a look at some regional updates. Let's start in the Donbass region with the slovyansk belohorivka berestova Triangle. The Russian objective here is to maintain territorial control and ground lines of communication, control insurgency, and integrate captured territory into Russia. The Ukrainian objective is to prevent advances on Siversk, Slovyansk, and Kramatorsk, support insurgents, exploit weaknesses, and interdict supplies. Russian forces launched an assault on the settlement of Spirne, west of the T-1302 highway, which was unsuccessful. On the Luhansk administrative border, Russian forces continued targeting the communities surrounding Siversk with artillery, including Verknokamyanske, Kriorivka, and Serabayanka and carried out an airstrike against Ryorivka. Some quick assessment. We maintain that Russian troops are not setting conditions for a wet-crossing attempt over the Seversky Donets River. There just isn't adequate troop strength in this region to try a contested crossing. Further to the south, in Bakhmut, the Russian objective is to capture the Bakhmut-Solidar complex and collapse the Svitlodarsk salient before August 31st, and interdict the Bakhmut-Siversk T-5013 highway G-lock, while the Ukrainian objective is to defend Bakhmut Solidar while managing equipment and personnel losses, minimizing civilian casualties, and defending GLOCs. Russian forces made reconnaissance attempts on Ukrainian positions near Pithorodne and retreated after coming under fire. Russian proxy forces, led by private military company Wagner Group and supported by terrorist elements of the Imperial Legion of Russia and Luhansk People's Republic separatists, continued fighting on the eastern edge of Solidar. LNR Deputy Internal Minister Vitaly Kiselev 
claimed the Nauf gypsum plant was under Russian control. Russian state media video showed PMC Wagner elements in the forested area east of the plant, with Russian artillery and tanks firing on Ukrainian positions. The video was geolocated 2.2 kilometers east of the plant, at 48 degrees, 39 minutes, 30.7 seconds north, and 38 degrees, 8 minutes, 13.6 seconds east. The video showed a small bunker in the forest that had once been a Ukrainian position. In our assessment, based on the information provided by Russian state media showing ongoing shelling of the Navgypsum plant, Russian forces are still outside Solidar. PMC Wagner attempted to advance toward Yakolivka and Bakhmut, but could not improve their positions. PMC Wagner, with support from LNR separatists with the 2nd Army Corps, established positions within Vershina, and fighting for control of the settlement continued. The situation in the Svitlodarsk bulge is unchanged, with Russian proxy forces and Ukrainian troops fighting in Kodema and for control of Zaitseve. The Russian Air Force was very active in the region, carrying out airstrikes on Yakovlivka, Solidar, Vershina, Vesela Dolina, Zaitseve, Dacha, and Bakhmut. Our assessment here is the same as it was on August 8th, which is that grunts with guns take territory, and grunts with guns hold territory, and the Russian military doesn't have enough well-trained and well-equipped grunts with guns to support multiple offensive operations near Bakhmut and Donetsk while reinforcing defensive lines in Zaporizhia and Kherson. The situation east of Solidar in Bakhmut has stabilized, but defending troops eventually have to be rotated. In attritional warfare, Ukraine can't compete. The question is, though, does Russia have enough troops left to throw at Solidar in Bakhmut and write off the casualties? In southwest Donetsk and western Zaporizhia, the Russian objective is to capture the Donetsk Oblast to its administrative borders before August 31st, push Ukrainian forces out of firing range of Donetsk City, and defend the existing line of conflict in Zaporizhia to the Dnipro River. The Ukrainian objective is to defend the existing line of conflict while finding and exploiting weaknesses, destroy troop concentrations and command and control sites, interdict supplies and disrupt logistics, and prepare for, or convince Russian forces they are preparing for, a wide-scale counteroffensive. The 1st Army Corps of the Donetsk People's Republic renewed offensives on Avdiivka and Pisky. Optimism for a quick victory in the area has faded, with reliable reports that separatist military units are reaching a combat-ineffective state. FSB colonel and wanted war criminal Igor Gurkin Strelkov, who is accused of being directly involved in the shooting down of Malaysian Airlines Flight 17 in 2014, wrote a grim assessment only two weeks after predicting the offensive would be successful. Translated into English, he said, quote, On the Donetsk front, no change according to reports from the front, the attacking potential of the units of the Donetsk infantry operating here is practically exhausted. With the available forces, it is hardly possible to achieve the capture of Avdivka and advance in other areas. Fights continue for the outskirts of Piski. Even the tactical successes of the third effective stage in terms of moving forward are still humiliatingly minimal. Even I, with all my undisguised skepticism, did not expect such modest results. End quote. His most recent update reverses what he shared on August 7th, posting on Telegram that Avdiivka and Piski were all but captured, and the offensive had moved to, quote, mopping up the last of the Ukrainian defenders. 
The former commander of the 1st Army Corps of the DNR emerged as a realist and Kremlin critic in May, after the Russian Ministry of Defense abandoned its strategy of trying to encircle 40,000 Ukrainian troops in the Donbass. Undeterred, DNR separatists attempted to advance on Avdiivka from Mineralne and Spartak and were unsuccessful. The situation in Piski remains unchanged, with the DNR controlling the southern third, Ukraine the northern third, and the center contested. Russian-backed forces likely control the area south of the ponds that divide the settlement, while Ukrainian forces control the northern side due to the natural barrier. Elements of the 1st Army Corps also attempted to advance on Marinka. Pro-Russian social media account Rybar reported that DNR forces had advanced into the area south of the Shevchenko mine waste heap, indicating no territorial control change since August 7th. Russian and Ukrainian forces fired artillery, mortars, and rockets from multiple launch rocket systems from Orlivka and Donetsk City to Velika Novosilka in the Donetsk Oblast, and Pol and Orykhiv to Kamyansk in Zaporizhia. Operational Command South of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reported a successful airstrike on the Russian command post for the 217th Guards Airborne Regiment in Maxima Horkoho. The settlement is 100 kilometers behind the current line of conflict. Social media users shared videos of a large fire on the edge of the coastal resort town of Kirilivka, northeast of Crimea and 55 kilometers south of Russian-controlled Melitopol. Ivan Fedorov, the exiled mayor of Melitopol, reported that Russian forces had been concentrating equipment and troops near the town for the last month, and there were two large explosions. Moving to assessment, we believe that the DNR can capture Pisky in the short term, but will be unable to capitalize on the tactical gain. Our position that a direct assault on Avdiivka would have a low chance of success remains unchanged. Denis Pushilin, the self-declared leader of the so-called Donetsk People's Republic, had visions of encircling 5,000 Ukrainian troops two months ago. That goal is out of reach. If there are 5,000 Ukrainian troops in Avdiivka, it would require 15,000 to 45,000 troops to overwhelm them. It is unlikely the entire 1st Army Corps of the DNR had 15,000 adequately trained and equipped soldiers before the start of the offensive. The claim by Operational Command South that the Ukrainian Air Force had a successful airstrike on a target 100 kilometers into Russian-occupied territory is a significant development. Russian air defenses have likely been degraded due to logistics and supply disruption. Additionally, Ukraine has been engaging in suppressing enemy air defense missions since July, forcing the Russian Ministry of Defense to relocate the remaining anti-aircraft systems. It's likely the explosions in Kirilivka were caused by Ukrainian airstrikes. Ultimately, we maintain that the goal of securing the entirety of the Donetsk Oblast by August 31st to support the planned September 11th Russian referendum is unrealistic. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. Let's move on to the Kharkiv region, starting in northwestern Kharkiv. The Russian objective here is to prevent Ukraine from reaching the international border with Russia, protect the Belgorod-Kupiansk G-lock, and break civilian will with continued terror attacks. The Ukrainian objective is to prevent further Russian advances on Kharkiv 
and pressure the Russian-controlled Shevchenkov-Izium-Gilok. Russian forces attempted to advance on the settlement of Yudi, northwest of Kharkiv on the international border, but they were unsuccessful. Russian and Ukrainian troops exchanged artillery, rockets from multiple launch rocket systems, and tank fire along the entire line of conflict, and the Russian air force struck the settlement of Verkhny Saltiv. Video showed Ukrainian forces using drone-directed artillery to destroy a Russian ammunition depot in Supivka on August 8th. The video was geolocated and weather-confirmed. Southeast of Kharkiv, the city of Chukhuyiv came under near-constant artillery fire. Our assessment here is unchanged from August 7th. Ukrainian and Russian forces have established offensive lines, with Russian troops 20 to 30 kilometers northwest, north, and northeast of Kharkiv to prevent Ukrainian forces from reaching the Russian border. There will continue to be positional battles, reconnaissance, and probing for weaknesses, but we don't expect significant combat operations along this axis for the rest of the summer. On the Azum axis, the Russian objective is to hold the current line of conflict and prevent further advances by Ukrainian troops toward Azum, and the Ukrainian objective is to defend against advances on Slovyansk and capitalize on weaknesses in Russian defenses, continue to harass and interdict Russian GLOCs, and execute special operation forces raids on Russian troops located behind the line of conflict. Northwest of Izum, Russian forces launched a renewed offensive on Husarivka. Fighting was ongoing, and the settlements of Shepil and Zaliman were shelled. A reconnaissance and force group of light infantry moving in the direction of Brazhivka was spotted by a Ukrainian drone, which directed artillery on the two infantry fighting vehicles. The lead IFV took a direct hit, with several surviving soldiers jumping out of the burning vehicle. Russian troops abandoned the other IFV and fled east on foot. The video was geolocated. In our assessment, the video provided an excellent example of a typical ad hoc advance by Russian troops. The understaffed platoon had no combined armed support, was clustered too close together, and moved on an open road that provided no cover. Ukrainian artillery holds fire control in this region. The tactics displayed by the Russian soldiers and the nature of their retreat indicate they are inadequately trained and have low morale. No other attempts were made to advance southwest, south, or southeast of Izum. However, artillery and rockets from MLRS were fired at Ukrainian positions along the southern axis. Our assessment here is the same as it was on August 7th. We remain unwilling to call the ongoing action by Ukrainian forces a counteroffensive. We maintain that Russian forces between Avdrivka and Kopanki are now in a salient and at moderate risk of encirclement if Ukrainian forces were to make a breakthrough. It's implausible that Russian forces can secure the Donetsk Oblast by August 31st without securing Slovyansk as part of that self-declared deadline. Let's get some updates from the Dnipro, Kherson, Mykolaiv, and Zaporizhia regions. In Kherson, the Russian objective is to prepare for a Ukrainian counteroffensive by building defenses, prevent further advances by Ukrainian troops toward Kherson, repair destroyed GLOCs over the Dnipro River, and prevent the expansion of the insurgency. The Ukrainian objective is to liberate the Kherson Oblast west of the Dnipro River and push Russian forces back far enough to end multiple launch rocket system attacks on Mykolaiv and Kriviri. Operational Command South of the Armed Forces of Ukraine claimed responsibility for the attack that destroyed the Russian ammunition depot in Novo Oleksivka on August 8th. The depot was 35 kilometers northeast of Russian-occupied Crimea and 150 kilometers from the line of conflict. 
We had previously assessed that Novoloksivka is out of range of any missile or rocket system Ukraine is known to have. Reading between the lines of the report from Operational Command South, it appears the attack was done by the Ukrainian Air Force operating on the east side of the Dnipro and more than 40 kilometers southeast of Kherson. Ukraine used rockets fired from HIMARS to target multiple regional air defense sites through July. Our assessment on August 8th that the explosion was likely caused by an accident or sabotage was incorrect. Russian and Ukrainian forces continue to exchange artillery and rockets fired from MLRS along the rest of the line of conflict, and our assessment here is unchanged from August 8th. Looking at Ukraine holistically, the threat of a Kherson counteroffensive has already impacted Russian strategy. Offensive operations east of Bakhmut and west of Donetsk have floundered, with Pisky the only exception. We maintain that the Kherson counteroffensive won't resemble a rapid advance over the open steppe. Rather, when and if it starts, it will be more methodical and be done in hops to new defensible positions. In Zaporizhia, the Russian objective is to interdict personnel and equipment assembling for a counteroffensive and break civilian will with continued terror attacks. The Ukrainian objective is to prepare for and stage a counterattack, prevent further Russian advances, and exploit weaknesses on the line of conflict. Ukrainian air defenses shot down two Russian cruise missiles near Zaporizhia. There were reports of cracked windows near the intercept locations. In Dnipropetrovsk, the village of Marivka on the Dnipro River was struck by over 80 grad rockets fired by MLRS, targeting civilians and civilian infrastructure overnight. The attack damaged or destroyed the city council building and administrative buildings. We'll have more info on this in the War Crimes and Human Rights segment. In the Cherniev and Sumy region, the Russian objective is to lock Ukrainian military resources in place and break civilian will with continued terror attacks. The Ukrainian objective is to maintain enough force strength on the border with Russia to prevent Russian troops from crossing. Dmitro Zhivitsky, Sumy Regional Administrative and Military Governor, reported Seredina Buda, Esmen, Bilopilia, Khotin, and Novosloboda were shelled and hit by mortars. Seredina Buda has been the scene of escalating conflict, with Ukrainian and Russian forces exchanging machine gun fire along the international border. Two people were injured in Bilopilia by the shelling. In Cheniev, the settlement of Sankivka was shelled by Russian forces over the international border. There wasn't additional information on damage or casualties. There's some big news in the Black Sea region. The Saki Air Force Base in Russia-controlled Novofedorivka, Crimea, experienced a series of devastating explosions as shocked Russian tourists on Black Sea beaches looked on. There were at least 12 explosions, shattering windows and blowing doors off their hinges a kilometer away. The Russian Ministry of Defense told the state news agency TASS that the blast was caused due to a, quote, violation of fire safety requirements. The Ministry of Defense said the blasts were not due to an attack on the base and that no one was killed and no aircraft were destroyed. Local officials in Crimea later reported one person had been killed and eight injured in what Russia continues to claim was an accident. A geolocated video confirmed to be authentic showed a parking lot of cars and buildings obliterated 600 meters from the ammunition bunker. One car had been skewered by a 10 to 15 meter long mangled girder. A satellite image from Planet Labs was taken four hours before the blast during its normal daily survey of Earth. The image showed 43 aircraft at the base, 
including three Su-24, three Su-30, and one IL-76 aircraft less than 300 meters from the ammunition bunker. A two-second, tightly framed video clip of the flight line showed an Su-24 aircraft was destroyed and an unidentifiable aircraft had been reduced to a mangled pile of debris. Our team verified the video's authenticity and geolocated the destroyed plane 290 meters north-northeast of the ammunition bunker. The video showed that the tarmac had been shattered. There were firefighters to the north and east of the aircraft, and a wall designed to handle the jet blast of aircraft had panels knocked down in the background. Mikhailo Podoliak, a senior advisor to Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, said that Kyiv was not involved in the explosions at the airfield in Novofedorivka. He blamed the, quote, inefficient management, end quote, of the Russian Federation armed forces for the incident. Now for some assessment. It's improbable that any aircraft within 600 meters of the ammunition bunker is flightworthy. We examined the Planet Lab satellite image. If the aircraft in the image had not moved by the time of the blast, we estimate 20 to 50 planes were destroyed. In our assessment, up to 7 Su-24s, 10 Su-30s, 5 Mi-8 helicopters, and 2 smaller transport aircraft were too close to the epicenter to have survived. If our analysis is correct, the Russian Air Force lost 10% of its Su-30 aircraft. The Russian Ministry of Defense will never admit that the blast happened due to an attack or sabotage, even if they determined that was the cause. Public admission of an attack would be an embarrassment and create more doubt about the effectiveness of Russian anti-aircraft and anti-missile defense systems. Admitting the incident was caused by sabotage at a critical airbase in Crimea would reveal anti-occupation sentiment among the local population. In global developments, lame-duck British Prime Minister Boris Johnson and French President Emmanuel Macron pledged that both nations would support Ukraine's war effort for as long as necessary in military, humanitarian, and economic matters. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is no graphic detail in today's report, but if you are sensitive to descriptions of human rights abuses, please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. You'll find it right around minute 23. In Dnipropetrovsk, 13 civilians were killed and another 11 wounded, seven critically, in a grad rocket attack on the village of Marivka. Ukrainian officials are accusing Russian troops of intentionally targeting civilians in their homes as they slept. Over 80 rockets damaged or destroyed 20 apartment buildings, two schools, the community hall, and the city's cultural center. The attack knocked out power and damaged a natural gas pipeline. In economic news, the ruble remains flat with the official exchange rate of 60 rubles for one U.S. dollar. The iPhone index was unchanged at 90 rubles for one U.S. dollar. Oil prices were also unchanged, with WTI crude closing at $90 a barrel and Brent at $96. United States RBOB wholesale gasoline for spot market delivery rose to $2.96 a gallon. Chicago SRW wheat futures for December 2022 delivery closed at $0.81 a bushel. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. 
Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.